Imagine this, it was 1986, and the world was crashing around a gentleman named David Green. In the offices of his multi-billion dollar hobby and craft business, Hobby Lobby, he read the bad news. The bank was ready to foreclose on the product of his years of what he did for his life and what he and his family labored for. But he wasn't alone. The oil boom in Oklahoma had gone bust, the overextended banks were failing, and many business owners in Oklahoma City were already closing their doors in defeat and declaring bankruptcy. But the Green family knew where they needed to turn in a time of help and in a time of crisis. Although the foreclosure of a business was the worst thing they could imagine, they came to see it as a defining moment in their business and in their spiritual lives. I know I prayed prior to that time, David Green says, but that's when I got really serious about it. He tells how he went into the space underneath his desk and that became kind of his prayer closet where he would go and he would crawl under there to hide from the other people in the corporate office and he would seek God's help. And God gave that help. They did not go into bankruptcy and God's response to those prayers for their business and their family pulled that company out from under the looming bankruptcy that they were fearing at that time. So now you're wondering why in the world share this story? Well, this perfectly sets up where we're at today in our scripture. And if you want to go ahead and open up there or pull it up on your Bible app, I will be in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 12. Uh, as you know, this summer we have been in the Sermon on the Mount. And in our Summer on the Mount study, we have covered everything from what it looks like to live the blessed life, to uh, have godly influence, remaining true, why we shouldn't worry, and... Uh, where you were at last week, why we shouldn't judge others and should respect them. And today, we're going to land on what it looks like to have a real faith. Now, I'm going to spoil something for you right away. Um, real faith is putting what Jesus has preached throughout the whole Sermon on the Mount into practice. But in our specific text today, we have some pointed how-tos of what a real, authentic faith looks like. Uh, like I mentioned before, we are in Matthew chapter 7, and I will be reading verses 7 through 12. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who finds, or excuse me, the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do unto others as you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Uh, th this portion of scripture may seem kind of out of place when you just read it through as we have today without any of the context before it. But I want to remind you of something here. Jesus is taking this sermon and he's wrapping it up at this point. We're getting into these final closing thoughts that Jesus has. And we have gone from do not judge to all of a sudden ask, knock, and seek. And that seems crazy if you think about it, but it's not. 
Jesus is telling us to ask, knock, seek. He's telling us to pray. He's telling us to pray about everything he's discussed in the sermon that came before it. So, for instance, judging. He's asking us to be in prayer about the other people we encounter in our lives so that we're not in a point where we're judging them. And the first thing he says is, ask and it will be given to you. In 1962, there was a 14-year-old boy, and his name was Robert White, and he wrote to President John F. Kennedy's personal secretary, just simply requesting the president's signature. He just wanted to have it. And after a few weeks, Evelyn Lincoln honored the boy's request by sending him a signature in the mail. But that began this relationship that lasted for 33 years. And uh, Miss Lincoln was absolutely impressed by White's passion for presidential history. And she actually gave him thousands of documents and mementos over the years. Whatever she saved, she would send to him. She even sent these doodles that John F. Kennedy would do when he was not paying attention during a meeting. So they're just like weird faces and stuff like that. He would send that to him because it was done by him and he thought it would be interesting to have. Today, Robert White has over 50,000 items simply because he asked. He was bold enough to ask. Receiving begins with the courage to ask. It's not even a question for us when we hear the word ask in Scripture that it's associated with prayer. Uh, most prayers for people are asking God for something when we have a need or, or, or maybe you asking for prayer for someone else because they have a need that needs to be met. But I've noticed as an adult myself, it's really hard for me to ask for help. I want to be able to just handle things myself. And it's no surprise to me that one of the first things Jesus says to us when he's trying to get us to understand to pray is that he says the word, ask. Ask. Um, can, can I kind of tell you a random story? You know, kindergarten kids can be brutally honest, right? We, we can all agree on that. So what you may not know is uh, before I got here to Central, I was a youth minister and a bus driver. What a combo, right? Um, and on this particular morning, it was the start of a new year, I was told that I was going to be picking up two new students at a home that I had not been to uh, on this little tiny county road. And uh, so I was looking for this house, trying to see the address with it being dark. And um, the other thing I was informed is that I was going to have to make a really crazy backup turn to get back out of this. So not only am I looking for where this house is going to be, I'm also kind of panicked because now I have to take my 72-passenger school bus and back it into another little county road uh, that I was coming off of. And uh, the little girl and little boy are on the bus, and it's all going well. I go a little past their house because that's where the road is, and I put the bus in reverse so you get beep 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 and I back into that county road and then I go forward a little bit and I knew I wasn't going to make it the first time I knew I have all this room behind me that has to also make this giant curve so I go forward again and back at a different angle so that I can go but right about the point the bus stops on that second backup I have my foot all the way on the brake and I see a little head pop over the seat and she looks disgusted. She says, you don't know what you're doing, do you? <laughs> I 
am still sitting there with my foot on the brake. I have to remind myself she has no idea that I'm trying to keep her and her brother and the other kids that were on the bus safe by doing this multiple times. She just saw that I had to look forward, then look back, and look forward, and look back, and she goes, that guy is crazy. He doesn't know what he's doing. But there's something else that happened with this little kindergarten girl that I think is actually really important to the story that I didn't tell you. Actually, when she first got on the bus, uh, she looked kind of nervous and a little anxious. This is her first day of kindergarten. And then she sees somebody who looks like he's 12 driving her school bus. It must have terrified her. Um, so she's getting ready to step up onto the bus, and she is struggling. She's having a hard time even getting up to that first step because she has this backpack that I can only describe as twice her size. And, you know, it had the little character on it she loved. And she, she's just like, my backpack's too big. Can you help me with this? I'm like, puts it up the steps toward me, and I, and I grab it and take it from her. I'm like, yeah, I can help you with that. And we get to the top. She, she says, thank you, and goes back. Minutes later, did I know that this little girl was going to try to insult me and accuse me that I didn't know what I was doing? Um, she actually made a habit of that throughout the rest of the year, just so you know. Um, but, but there's one thing you, you need to hear in the story. I can be goofy, and I can tell you all the funny details about it. But, but I won't waste my time or your time doing that unless it's after church and we're out in the parking lot joking around. I just vividly remember this girl asking and it being a very genuine ask. This little girl was struggling on her first day of kindergarten. She needed help with her backpack to get up there. Can you help me? She was not afraid to ask for help. She asked for help every time she needed it throughout that year going forward and if I didn't hear her ask for help, her brother would take the backpack and help her onto the bus. And she always had the help she needed because she asked. If we're asking for God's help, we should expect that there's going to be a result. We should expect that maybe God's going to put somebody in our path to help us. Maybe it's lift our backpack. Or Jesus says, you know, ask and it will be given to you. So you don't know what that could be. But if you're asking for it, Odds are he's going to give that to you. Jesus concludes his statement by saying, for everyone who asks receives in the very next verse. And then Jesus continues by saying, seek and you will find. And when Jesus uses this word seek here, I find it interesting because he puts that action off onto us as the believer. We need to be seeking out God's truth. We need to be praying and seeking out what God would have in mind for us. It kind of reminds me of this commercial I, I saw one time. Um, it's the typical cheesy commercial. You hear the piano music star, and then you hear the woman voiceover, and she says, what does it take to stay close to a dad who is oceans away? And then the scene is kind of set up right in front of you. And you see this little boy take a box of crayons and he's going over to his construction paper and he's drawing, he's drawing, he's writing out these letters to his dad. And you're like, oh, this is amazing. He's going to write letters to his dad and that's how he, he's seeking to let his dad know what's going on. This is great. But then the next thing the little boy does is he takes the letters outside, folds them into a paper airplane, throws them over the fence. Instead of taking them to the mailbox and mailing them where they needed to go, in his little mind, it was my best approach here is going to be able to fly him to my dad, who, like we just learned, is actually across the ocean. That's not going to do much. 
But the, the thing the little boy didn't know is that there's a neighbor on the other side of that fence, and he, he kind of looks like he's standing there grumpy at first. He's like looking down, touches his head, and he starts picking them up. But what he actually does is he takes all these letters, and then he puts them in a cardboard box, tapes them up, and mails them to his dad. And instead of the dad just mailing those letters to his son for him to directly receive them, the dad mails them back to the neighbor. And one day the neighbor notices that the little boy is back outside, and he's sitting there on the porch. He thinks it didn't work. And then an airplane just flies over the fence and lands in front of him. And then another, and another. And they kept coming. It was safe to assume by what you see in this commercial that every time he threw a plane over, his dad answered that and sent it back to the neighbor and another one came. Because what you see next is this boy opening all these letters he has from his dad. He was seeking out something. He wanted to talk to his dad. He wanted to see what his dad was going to say back to him. So he did what he thought was right to reach out to him. He was doing everything it took to seek to get that information out to him. And Jesus is telling us that when we say our prayers, we should seek the truth that only comes from him in heaven. We should be getting our returned information back from the viewpoint of our creator. Jesus says, if you pray, you will find what God is trying to tell you. And Jesus concludes this thought in the next verse. He says, the one who seeks finds. And then Jesus continues by saying, knock, and the door will be open to you. Uh, Knock kind of continues this thought of it it being on us as the believer to reach out. Uh, You know, when I think of trying to get someone's attention, I think about knocking. We would, you know, knock to get the attention of the other person. And sometimes you're like, I know you're in there, and you keep knocking. And you're like, "I, I know you need this message. Keep going. And I'm not saying we'd be annoying about it. God's going to hear it every time we're praying to him. But what I am saying is that it's no surprise to me that the word knock is used here. I forgot to mention this in the first service, and it really bothered me. Um, Actually, in Revelation chapter 3, Jesus knocks to get the attention of one of the churches in the Apostle John's vision. So there's really this picture of, that's one of the things Jesus did to get the attention of us, too. To get the attention of his church here on earth. He was knocking to make that happen. So Jesus concludes this thought in the next verse. And he says, the one who knocks, the door will be open for him. So why at the end of the verse did I always say to you, at the end of the verse, the one who knocks, the door will be open. The one who asks, you know, why did I keep doing that? I was trying to get you to see what Jesus was doing when he was talking to us as well because he repeats himself. He's really wanting to make it known that when we ask, we're going to get the information we're seeking. When we seek, we're going to find what we're looking for. When we knock, a door's going to be open for us. He's reiterating to try to help us get the point. You know, I read this story one time. There's a huge company in Chicago And it's one of the largest magazine fulfillment centers in the world. Not just in America, but in the world. And that means they handle subscription mailings by a computer. And among the other things, 
They send out renewal and expiration notices. So not only are they trying to sell, come get this magazine. If you already had the magazine, now they're going to say, oh, you stopped paying for it. You really need this. Uh, here, you need this. But, but one day, that computer that did that work malfunctioned. And there was this rancher. Uh, he lived in Powder Bluff, Colorado. He received 9,734 separate requests for him to re, like, renew his subscription for National Geographic. Now, I hope you heard what I said. 9,734. That either means he counted these or the company knew how many they accidentally sent out when they figured out the mistake. Where do you put 9,000 letters? I have a mailbox. They're not going to fit in my mailbox. 9,000 letters. So obviously this gets the attention of this guy in Powder Bluff, Colorado. He lives out on a ranch. He has to drive 10 miles to the nearest post office. And he takes with him the money to renew the subscription and a note. And the note said, I give up. Send me your magazine. There's something about multiple requests that brings answers. For, for reasons that are only known to God in heaven, this is also true of prayer. Those multiple requests don't go unheard. God's going to answer those requests. It just may not be in our timing. To drive home this point even further, uh, Jesus is now going to give this example to his audience, and that, that would include his disciples and, and all the people that are there uh, listening to him speak. And uh, just as a reminder, I'm going to read that for you because it's been a while since we read the passage. So, which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? It is an absurd question. We can acknowledge that right now. If, my, if I had a son, he walked up to me and said, Dad, I'm hungry. I would like some bread. And I go, oh, hold on a second. I can't do that for you. But uh, look right here. I've got some rocks for you. You can have these stones. Pretty good deal, right? You all don't seem convinced. I'm not convinced either. Uh, Jesus is trying to make a big point to help them understand how crazy that is. It's the same thing with the snake. I'm not going to walk up. Oh, you want some fish. Okay. Um, I can't do that for you, but here's a snake. Good luck. Like, it's, it's really kind of an ups, absolutely absurd thing that Jesus is saying. Um, but the one thing I want to remind you about, you know, when Jesus said the bread, and you give stones. He's actually pulling from something that happened earlier in Matthew chapter 4. Think about it. In the temptation of Jesus himself, what happened is uh, the devil is tempting him, and he's in this moment where he's being tempted, and there's some stones. And the devil says, well, I know you're hungry. Why don't you uh, go ahead and turn these stones into bread? Well, Jesus doesn't do that. He knows he's being tempted. He knows what the devil's up to. So, there's a lot of stuff happening, a lot of things to unpack. But keep in mind, fish and bread are staples of the time. Jesus has per personally dealt with this circumstance where he has literally been offered 
stones instead of bread. And he was taunted to change them, make it what you need. But then here's where it kind of comes to a close. The sound logic in it all, if you will. So even though we have the tendency to fall into evil, is what he's saying, even though as human beings we have the temptation or the tendency to fall into what's not good, you know that it's best to give your child food instead of rocks. Food instead of a snake that's going to slither away. Don't you think your Father in Heaven will do so much more than even that? He will gift you with good gifts. And all you have to do is ask, seek, and knock. And now I'll address the elephant in the room. We've been talking so much about prayer, and I've been saying all this. And maybe you've had the thought of, well, I've prayed for this before, and that request, it didn't happen. God didn't answer that prayer. And I have two reminders for you that I remind myself about all the time. Uh, the first is that maybe your request doesn't line up with God, what God had in mind for you, for the will of God in your life. Maybe that request was something that is actually best not to happen in your life. Our creator would be the one to know that, just in case you didn't know. Um, and, and the second is that God's time is nothing like our time. In the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we're given some wisdom, and it reminds us that there's a time for every activity that happens under heaven, and on earth. And there's a method to God's timing, and we cannot understand everything that's going to happen. And as a matter of fact, we're not actually meant to understand every single thing that happens. That's God's job. Why would we want to take God's job? Maybe the current timing of what you're asking for is not what God had in mind for your life. Now I'm going to shift to another verse. It's the last verse in our scripture. And I'm sure it's one that a lot of us in the room could quote, and that is the golden rule. So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. This almost seems like another random Jesus thought that doesn't really make sense. He's like, okay, be nice to people. All right, here you go. But once again, I'm going to make you notice that we're talking about the whole context of this verse or the whole context of this sermon. There have been all these things that led up to this moment. All these things that Jesus has been teaching about us about for the right moves in our lives, the right actions to take, the way to treat people, um, not to worry about things in our lives, not to judge the people that come before us. And if we're, we're doing all those things and we're, we're praying about those things like we're told to do. We're told to ask, seek, and knock, and to be praying about all these things that we have going in our lives. I would make the claim that it's going to be an outpour and overflow from our life for you to see us treat people like we would want ourselves to be treated. If you're doing your best to not judge others and you're seeking out God's advice and wisdom on how to handle someone who just are not having a good relationship with in your life and maybe they're difficult to deal with and you're having a hard time not coming to this judgment of they're not worth my time they're not worth my effort of me being there they're just gonna do their own thing and I'm not that's it I'm done with it when we go and take those things to God in prayer it's gonna be revealed to us maybe why you're having such a hard time with that person 
Or maybe you could even be put into the path of someone who can help you understand that person better. To help you understand why you're having a hard time getting along with them and not casting judgment on them. The truth is, it's going to be easy for us to treat others like we want to be treated if we're seeking what Jesus wants us to do in our lives. If we're seeking out what Jesus has called us through to do, not only in the Sermon on the Mount like we're talking about, but through all of Scripture and everything he calls us to in our lives. Jesus is essentially sharing with his, all, like his audience here, the disciples and everyone around, the best practices for our lives and all the stuff that Jesus has been preaching about add up to the point where we come to, you want to be treated this way, Jesus has treated you this way. Do that for other people. Let me tell you a little bit of a story. It was a battle, an absolute wrestling match, a test of the wills. Every day at exactly the same time, a lady named Margaret would go to her bathroom cabinet, she would open it, and she would take out this gigantic bottle of castor oil. And then she would head to the kitchen and grab a tablespoon and you would hear the drawer coming open, her grabbing the spoon, the door shutting, and then a little dog running and hiding as quickly as it can because it is terrified. It's, it knows what's coming. This little Yorkshire Terrier has hidden itself under the bed because someone told Margaret that if she loved her dog, that she should give him a, a spoonful of castor oil every day and it would help him get strong teeth, a beautiful coat, and he would have a long life. So every day, the castor oil comes out. The drawer opens, the spoon, the force-feeding fight that would go every day of her shoving some castor oil down this poor dog's throat. And one day in one of the battle royales that was occurring with the castor oil and the spoon and all this, the dog wins, kicks the castor oil, it goes across the floor, spills out on the floor. Margaret's like, I'm done with this. I'll just go get towels and clean it up. Goes and puts the spoon down, picks up the bottle, grabs the towels, turns around to see her little Yorkshire Terrier licking the castor oil. Hmm. And in that moment, it all made sense. Patches is the dog's name. He actually liked the castor oil. Uh, he just hated being pinned down and having it poured down his throat every day. Each one of us have a common link as people. Our creator loves each one of us so much that he was willing to send his son here not only to teach us how we should live in the Sermon on the Mount like he did, it goes even farther than that. He was willing to take on our sin and our shame of every single one of us in the world. And he would come out the victor he is the winner. And each one of us have this link to our creator, and it leads us to our connection for today. Real faith is asking Jesus to help us see the world the way he sees it. And when we truly lean on God, he will reveal to us the things that we ask. When we treat people as Jesus treated people, for the most part, people don't hate the idea of a God. They actually love the fact that there's a loving God and most of the time they're treated poorly and make the jump to, 
well, if God loved me, these, these people wouldn't treat me so horribly. Unfortunately, God loved us so much that he didn't make us these mindless drones that just kind of walk around and we answer everything the way Scripture tells us to. Unfortunately, there are going to be people that come down the way that just aren't going to represent who Jesus is well. They're going to make poor decisions that are going to make people think poorly about who the Savior is. That's something we've got to deal with. That's something we've got to take on head on. We have the free will to make decisions, and that means we can make the bad one. <laughs> decisions could be reflecting a false image of who Jesus is, even if it's somebody else's decisions. So remember, as an image bearer of who Jesus is, we're walking around, we have this awesome opportunity and responsibility to treat others the way we wish to be treated, because the way we wish to be treated is the way our Savior treats us. The way he looks back, and uh, even though we may have failed multiple times, he, he doesn't give up on us. When we ask, he's pouring out wisdom on us on what the right steps for our family would be going forward in a big change. Or when you're a scared college kid and who ends up going back to the same college twice and second guesses it both times, that people are placed in his path that help him overcome that and help him to have a more dedicated prayer life that helps him point back to the Savior. I, I may or may not have been there. Huh? The thing that I'll say to close us out, we have a huge responsibility to point people back to Jesus and not our bad attitudes. That is a big deal because it's very easy to just go with the bad attitude and run with it. You don't care about me anyway. Blah, 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 blah. But you don't know that. That person may be caring about you and you're making them feel horrible. It is our job as image bearers of Jesus to show the love to the people around us. Maybe you're here today and you have a decision to make and you, maybe it's becoming part of the fellowship here at Central Christian or, or maybe it's even more than that. Maybe you need to rededicate your life or maybe make the decision for the first time. We encourage you to to come forward and make that decision today. Uh, let's say prayer together and go into a time of worship. Father, we love you and we are so thankful that we have your word that allows us to dig in and find out what you think a real faith looks like. A real faith that is asking for your guidance, seeking out your truth, and knocking to get any result we can from you, Lord. As we go forward, our prayers that we are true image bearers for the greatness and goodness of who you are, and that in each and everything, we are pointing people back to you and your goodness. Lord, we love you and thank you. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.